In fact, I want to just start us this morning with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we want roots in our lives. We don't want to be, we don't want to be blown about by circumstances like tumbleweeds. God, we need roots in our lives. Many of us are going through seasons of change, especially those who have high school students who are graduating. Some of them are going to be dealing with that kind of change. Some of them are going through changes in their families, changes in their marriages, changes at work. And God, you showed us through the book of Daniel that we can have roots. And even though things can be turned upside down in our lives, we still can remain steadfast and faithful, just like Daniel, this teenager, when he experienced this. God, would you give us that same kind of resolve that Daniel had? And so, Father, would you speak to us today? Lord, would you also help us to resist the pressures of our culture? We are, as believers, those who are following Christ, we are living in Babylon today. And Lord, we're under assault. The identity that we have in Jesus is constantly being barraged and under assault today. So we're asking you, Lord, for the strength again to have the resolve of Daniel, the courage of Daniel. Would you teach us today from this great book? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, I'm humbled and thankful that you are here with us today. I do want to also just say we have amazing students. While I was backstage just hearing just all the, the ways that uh, these, these young men and women have excelled is just incredible. And we are very excited to announce to you today that we have hired our new student pastor. Uh, and I want to show you a picture of them. This is Jamie and Jennifer Pippin, and they are going, and their son River. And uh, by the way, I, I wanted to be sure that Jamie knew that he had to wear a tuxedo every Sunday to church, right? Because that's how we roll around here. This is their son, River, and uh, they will be joining us on June the 3rd. And so we've got another month of kind of working through that, but I am so excited. We had an incredible team of, of some of you who were a part of that team who, who helped in this selection process. And he came in and spoke on a Wednesday night and we were just blown away. We're so grateful and excited about this new transition in our student ministry. And, uh, and so, yeah, we can clap for that. That's an exciting thing that will be starting. They will have the whole summer to get to know their new youth pastor. And by the way, we are so grateful for Pastor Kyle, who is our connections pastor now. He did an awesome job, he and Maddie. And uh, you know, it's just a great thing to be able to, whenever, whenever seasons of change happen in our church, to be able to have such a fantastic staff and, and some of them, change happens with them and they move into new positions. And, and this was a good thing for Kyle and, and this is also gonna be a great thing for our student ministry. And so we are very excited. Well, we're continuing in the book of Daniel, okay? So go ahead and get your Bibles with me. Turn with me to chapter two. We'll look at one verse in, or a couple of verses in chapter one to give you a little bit of a recap. But... Uh, does anybody here ever have like these recurring bad dreams or nightmares? Anybody have anything like it just happens over and over and over again? Okay, I, I, have, I have a couple of them. Now, now uh, let me just tell you about one. This isn't a recurring dream, but this is a recent weird dream that I had. If you've been around EVC for any amount of time, you know this, that I, I have a serious shark phobia, okay? You know that? Uh, I saw Jaws when I was like five or six years old, and, I, and, and, and I've never wanted to go back into the water, okay? And, uh, but but I've, I've had these dreams all, all throughout my life about these encounters with sharks, okay? But this was the most recent one. This was back, actually back last fall, I had this dream, okay? I had this dream that uh, I was sitting at a, a local coffee shop, Somehow we were near some body of water, okay, and I was having coffee at a local coffee shop, and sitting across from me was a great white shark who was also having coffee with me, okay? He was having coffee with me, and we were having a discussion, and uh, I don't know how he was doing this. It was kind of like Land Shark from Saturday Night Live, I guess, but we were having, uh, we were having coffee together. And I felt like he was trying to manipulate me to get into the water. In fact, I heard things like that that were kind of going on while I was sitting there. And uh, I just felt like he had ill intentions for me at that point, okay? And I, I, was hearing, I was hearing the music kind of in the background that was going on while I was sipping my latte there. But, uh, but I, I don't know what that dream was about. I really don't. It was the weirdest dream. I woke up. I was, I was disturbed. I was like, what was that even about? One I didn't even know sharks like Starbucks, okay? I had no idea about that. Why, if he was sitting there with me, why didn't he just eat me? He could have done that. But, but dreams, dreams are weird, okay? I hope that doesn't happen throughout the entirety of the message. But, but dreams are weird. But this, uh, all I can figure on that dream, I, I was like, what was that about? 
Um, my son and I, not, not long after that, we had an appointment with, all I could figure was that we had an appointment with a lawyer, okay? And I don't know if we were going to have coffee with a lawyer. I don't know if it was a shark thing. I have no idea. Um, my wife, Hope, and I, we had sat, uh, we had sat at a coffee shop in, uh, when we were in Hawaii last summer, and we drank coffee every morning. I don't know. The brain works weird sometimes. It puts things together. I don't know if that was it. It was just a weird dream. But this is the worst recurring nightmare that I have. Are you ready for it? Okay. And, and, and how many of you are control freaks? Raise your hands. Control freaks. Okay, I can be one. I can struggle with that. I like to feel like I'm in control. And sometimes whenever I'm feeling out of control, I have this recurring nightmare. I've, I'm supposed to come and speak before a group of people like you. A lot of times it is you guys, but sometimes it's other places. And I have no idea what I'm supposed to speak about. And, and it's like I've got this lock on my brain. I can't figure it out. And I, I can't find my notes. Someone has done something with my notes. And so, and then, so people are waiting on me because I'm frantically trying to find, uh, if someone can help me, what am I supposed to talk to these people about? I mean, and, and it's all kinds of, it happens over and over and over again. And, and then, and people are mad while they're waiting. You people are so impatient. I want you to know, at least in my dream. All right? And they're mad and they're getting angry with me. And, uh, and here's the worst part, and you will agree. The worst part is I can never find my pants. Okay, and I can never find my pants. And now I just gave you a recurring nightmare, okay? You thinking of that. But it, I, I'm not joking about this. I have this dream all the time. And it's typically whenever I feel like my life is out of control or I feel like things are just out of control. But whenever I have this dream, I wake up from that dream so bothered. I mean, I'm serious. Sometimes I'm just sweaty. I wake up disturbed, and I don't know, you know, I'm trying to figure out what is this dream about. And I know that, again, it's typically whenever I just feel like, like I don't know what's going to happen next or I feel like things are out of control. Dreams can just be weird, right? Now, maybe it's bad Mexican food that I had. I'm thinking that with a shark one for sure. Well, here's what I want us to look at today. In the second chapter of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that is a bizarre dream. And it turns into, though, a nightmare scenario for his wise men. They were his wise men. We're going to read about it here in just a second. Now, this was going to end up also being a nightmare scenario that was going to happen to Daniel because Daniel, who was in an apprenticeship at this point for being one of these wise men and in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar, um, Daniel was there, for those of you who haven't been around, Daniel was there, to give you some context, because he was a, a teenager when his nation came under assault, the nation of Israel was at a spiritual, moral decline, they were involved in immorality, they were involved in idol worship, and, and injustice was everywhere. And so God had been warning them through prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah to repent and to turn back to God. But they didn't want to do that. They kept ignoring their prophets. In fact, uh, they even persecuted their prophets and even murdered some of their prophets. People did not want to listen to God. God was trying to woo them back to himself, but they, they didn't want to do this. And so God allowed the nation of Babylon. We, we, we'll read this. We, we, we looked at it the last few weeks. God allowed some discipline to happen to his people. And part of that discipline was that the nation, he allowed the Babylonian, the Babylonian empire to invade uh, the nation of Israel, and particularly the, the northern region, which was Israel, and then Judah was in the southern region. It was the divided kingdom at that point. And part of what they would do is they would, they would take, they took 25% of these people back with them to Babylon, 750 miles away from their home. Daniel was one of those as a teenager when this happened. His world was turned upside down. He went through all kinds of change. And what have we been learning about this? There was this, there was this test of change. Now, Daniel was also, he was also one of the select few to be invited to come and to be a part of the king's court, okay? So Daniel went through test of change, and we saw that he was deeply rooted and not just blown about by circumstances, but he also went through the test of cultural conformity. And we looked at that last week, 
where he was being pressured into conforming to the Babylonian culture and forgetting who he was and forgetting his identity as a Jew and one who followed Jehovah God, the one true God. Well, today we're going to see that Daniel is also going to face a test of crisis management. So you've got the test of change. There's the test of cultural conformity and the test of crisis management. And we're going to see how Daniel handled the pressure in his life and, 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 and how God blessed him because he had such amazing character, unswerving convictions. Daniel was rooted in his faith, and that is what we want for our church and for our believers that are here. Those of you who follow Jesus, we want to be rooted in Jesus Christ because you are going to go through some changes in your life that are going to be difficult. You all are going through some kind of pressure to conform, whether at your job or whether in the schools that you go to, whether in your neighborhood, just to cave in and to go along with the flow like all of Babylon, because we're living in Babylon today. And so the question is, are you rooted? Do you have roots or will you be swept away like tumbleweeds that go as the wind blows, okay? And so what we see is that Daniel had great convictions. The king was taking them through U of B, University of Babylon, okay? This is where he was going. And University of Babylon was about changing their culture, changing the way they spoke. They even tried to change their diet, and that is, and which had much to do with their, them being Jews, okay? That, in fact, it was everything to do with that. And, and Daniel resisted this. And as a result of passing the test of change, passing the test of cultural conformity, God began to bless Daniel and promote Daniel. And, and, and God began to set Daniel up for even greater things. All the while, he was a teenager. And that's why I ordered our teenagers to come up last week, and our young men did that, and our young ladies did that today, because I want you to get this, in your, this image in your mind that, that our teenagers are not just supposed to be the church one day, they are the church right now, right? Amen? And God wants to do amazing things and can use our teenagers in incredible ways. Daniel stayed faithful. God blessed Daniel because of his character. We learned last week, God blesses integrity. That was, that was one of the points last week. God blessed his courage. God blessed his self-discipline. And then we saw that Daniel also was blessed because he had humility. So let's look at Daniel 1.17 and see how God blessed Daniel and how God wants to bless you. Now look at verse 17. God gave these four young men, God gave is the key there, an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the, meaning, the meanings of visions and dreams. Verse 20. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them, what does it say, church? Ten times. Ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. This was kind of their, their occultic practices. They would, they would go to these necromancers, these enchanters, these, these diviners, these sorcerers who would provide, quote unquote, wisdom for the king and counsel for the king. But God gave Daniel ten times the ability Ten times the ability of any of these worldly advisors. These, this was the blessing of God upon these young men. In fact, what we're going to see is that God not only gave them these promotions throughout the kingdom that will last through their lifetime because of their convictions, but here's an incredible thing. God gives Daniel insight into prophetic visions and understanding that nobody else had ever had at this point. The only other person who would even be shown the kinds of things that Daniel would be shown would be John the Revelator. John the Revelator in the book of Revelation was shown, as Daniel was shown, how the end of this age of our world will, will happen. So Daniel was an amazing teenager. This guy was an amazing young man. And I want you to know, I feel compelled, and I'm serious about this, I feel compelled to help our teenagers grow into amazing, godly young men and young women. 
I feel compelled as a pastor, as a lead pastor, to come alongside and to be certain that that, that is something that is happening. And, and I believe that this book reveals that God wants to do amazing things through our students. Do you believe that, church? I believe it. I feel that that is, that that is on point, that this is what God is wanting to do. If anything, one thing the book of Daniel teaches us is to never discount the fact that God desires to and can work greatly through our teenagers. And we have amazing teenagers, and we have had an amazing student pastor in Kyle Neiman, and he has done a fantastic job. And we have amazing parents here that have been pouring Jesus into the lives of, of their students. And I want to make this clear. I want, you, I want you to hear me say this all the time. Yes, they are certainly a part of our future, but I want us to understand they are not just our future. They are the church today. Some of the greatest spiritual awakenings that have happened in world history, church history, have happened whenever students got on fire for Jesus Christ. When they started following the Lord and, and, and having convictions about them, God works greatly through, through the teenagers, and, and we see this in the book of Daniel. And I'm personally, I'm personally, as a result of this conviction that God brought upon me within the last few months. I've always loved our students, and I've always felt, I've, I've felt a calling. I've been a student pastor before, but, but here's the deal. I felt like God has called me personally to invest more of myself, more of my time uh, into our students, into our teenagers, because I want them to know something, that Jesus loves them now and that they can serve God now. Because here's what I experience as a pastor. <laughs> And, and this isn't a knock towards anybody if, this, if you fall into this category, but we see many of them who will fall off after their high school years. They will fall off the radar through their 20s until maybe they get married and have some kids, and then they're going through life, and they're trying to figure life out now. And sometimes they come back, but a lot of times they don't. And we are one generation away from being completely unchurched as a nation. And we got to get that. We have to understand that because I don't know if some of you realize this, but you're getting older, <laughs> right? And so am I. And so we got to be sure that we are pouring into them. Many of them are going off to college as they were up here and, and Kyle was mentioning what's happening with them. They're going off to Babylon, they're going to places where they will be barraged with ideologies that will be contrary to what they've been brought up with. They will, they will be under assault. Their identity in Christ, those who are Christ followers, it will come under assault wherever they go. And I want to say this. We cannot pawn this responsibility of making sure our students are deeply rooted in God and in Jesus Christ. We cannot and should not ever pawn that onto a student pastor. That is our responsibility, parents. Amen, right? It's our responsibility, and, and I want to be sure that I'm leading you in that. So I told Kyle probably about two weeks ago, I told him, I said, I want you to know I am sorry that I have not done a better job of coming alongside and doing this with you. Sometimes I've, I've focused on other things, and you know what I've realized? I need to really be focusing. I'm going to focus in on my, I promise I'll keep doing my job well in other areas. But I feel like it is so important that our students are deeply rooted. And, and I, I want them to know that, that they have a pastor that loves them and cares about them and is, wants to pour it. So I, I had to ask Kyle to forgive me for that. Scripture teaches this. Older men should be pouring into younger men. Older women should be pouring into younger women. And so if you haven't figured out what your purpose is, and you don't even have to do this in a formal kind of way. By the way, this just kind of started, this is, I shared this, this is kind of a neat thing. Started meeting with one of our young men who invited the next week, invited a couple other young men. There was three. Uh, the, the week after that, you want to know what happened? There was nine. You know what we're doing? We're studying the Bible. The next week, there was ten. And I just feel compelled that this is so important that we're, we're pouring ourselves into our students because I want to be sure they're rooted. Because they're going to go through Seasons of change. They're going to go through cultural conformity, and they're going to go through crisis. Will they be rooted? I want to be sure they're rooted, rooted in Jesus. 
So EVC, I want to ask you to help me follow me. I want to ask you to follow me in this. Uh, my vision, is, and I believe this, is that on Wednesday nights, I believe this. Wednesday nights is a big night for our students. I believe this. This room, Lord willing, with, with us getting after it, Lord willing, we're going to see this, this room filled up with teenagers every Wednesday night. Amen? And, and it's not about numbers or anything like that. But I just feel like before we ever moved over here, we feel like this is what God wants, is that this building is going to be overrun with teenagers on Wednesday nights that are getting rooted in Jesus Christ. You may think, well, I don't know how to do that, Barter. I'm not called to do, to do that. And you don't have to do it in a formal kind of way, the way I'm doing that. You may just look around and see who has God placed in your path that's younger than you. Who is that that you could begin to model? And you may be thinking, well, does that mean that I'm going to have to get an earring for them to accept me, right? Am I going to have to get a tattoo? Am I going to have to wear skinny jeans? Please don't, okay? You know what I'm discovering? I'm discovering, do you know what, do you know what I'm discovering? I'm discovering they're hungry to learn. I've, I've been learning this. It's been incredible. And you know what I've discovered? They're not looking at all that. Do you know what they want to know? Do you love me? Do you accept me? Will you give your time for me? Will you pour yourself into me? Are you, here's a big one, authentic? Are you real? Are you transparent? And are you consistent? And so this is what, what I, want to, I want to invite you to join me in. And it doesn't have to be in a formal kind of way. But, you know, if we have all these teenagers here on a Wednesday night, you know what we're going to need? adults. So it's coming. Get ready. So back to Daniel. God blessed Daniel because of his uncompromising character. God began to give Daniel and entrust him with great power. You're going to see this. And then God also entrusted him with understanding of prophecy and giving him prophecy. So let's look at how this narrative unfolds in this whole chapter. We won't get through the whole chapter today. We'll get more to the dream Next week in the meaning of the dream. But today, let's just unfold the narrative here. One night, verse 1, one night during the second year of his reign. Now, you may look at that and you may think, well, wait a minute. I thought Daniel was in this training for three years. Well, the first year of any monarch in the Babylonian culture was never counted. Okay, so whenever Nebuchadnezzar, who was before Nebuchadnezzar, his father died, whenever this happened, that wasn't counted. Daniel was likely finishing up his University of Babylon experience, and now he is serving as an apprentice and as an advisor. So here's what it says. Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. And we'll learn that he was worrying about control of his kingdom. He was worried about control issues. He was wondering what's going to happen to the future of this kingdom. And, and by the way, in the coming weeks, we'll begin to learn just the, how massive this kingdom was. The walls that were over 300 feet in height. The Babylonian culture was, it was incredible. It was, it was, a, it was the world power. And he was wondering what is going to happen to this. It was messing him up. Now you need to know God ordained this dream. God gave Nebuchadnezzar this, green, this dream. You may think, well, why didn't God give it to one of the Jews? It most likely was a rebuke to the Jews who had, had turned on the Lord and who were worshiping idols. And so he gave this dream to this pagan king. God set these wheels in motion. And you'll see in the scriptures that God will often use dreams uh, in the Old Testament specifically. Uh, to use, he'll use dreams and visions that they'll, he'll give to people like he did to Pharaoh. He did to Joseph. He, he, did, he gave a dream to Joseph there. He gave a dream to, uh, to Jesus' stepdad, uh, Joseph, Solomon. So many different instances of this. So this was not uncommon back in this age. Now what was going to be even more bothersome to the king was that he had this dream, this disturbing dream, but he couldn't remember it. Has that ever happened to you? Right? He couldn't remember his dream. Now, he remembered the terror of it, the anxiety of it. He probably woke up in just sweaty and, and the sleeplessness of it, but he could not remember the details. And, and just as God ordained the dream, you need to understand that God also ordained the fact that he couldn't remember it. 
God removed the dream from him. Why? To sovereignly set Daniel up for blessings again and to provide another test for Daniel. Folks, this is a huge lesson for those of us who are control freaks. Many of you raised your hands. Here's the lesson. God is in control. He's in control of your life and my life. And when we get all anxious and we get into this place, we need to hang on to that fact that God is in control. All right, so here's what he's going to do. The king is going to do this. He called in his magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that, keeply, that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. He's gotten a panel together of brainiacs. And there were different kinds of folks that he brought together. Some of them were in, in the occultic practices there. Some of them were his intellectuals. The Chaldeans is another way that translates. They were a group of people who had often dealt with reading dreams. They had manuals for reading dreams. They were known for this. And so the, he has this, he gets this group of people together because of this foreboding dream that was dealing with his future. He felt out of control. And again, many of us are like this. We like to feel like we are in control. So he gathers his scholars. He gathers the prognosticators. He gets these, these fortune tellers together and, and the horoscope readers and, and those who were supposed to be psychic dream readers. They were a representation of all human wisdom. That's what they were representing here in this passage. And the Babylonians, again, were known for reading dreams. And, and, and so they were like, tell us the dream, king. See, there's only one problem. He couldn't do that. He couldn't give them the details of the dream. God removed his memory of the dream. Why did God do this? One, to set Daniel up. Secondly, to expose them for who they really were. They were phonies. They were fakes. And God was going to show this. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. That's how you want to talk to any king like that. You butter him up first, right? Tell us the dream. And we will tell you what it means. And when they say this, it infuriates him. And this guy, as you're about to see, has a serious anger problem. <laughs> Give us the details. We'll get the manuals out. We'll tell you what you need to hear. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, wait a minute. Aren't you guys who can read the future and you know what's supposed to happen and you're the wise men of our, of our culture and, and, and you're psychic and all of this. And wait a minute, shouldn't you have known that I was going to have this dream and be ready for it to explain it to me? Right? You should have known this was going to happen is kind of what's going on here. It's like calling one of those psychic hotlines, right? And don't raise your hands if you have, all right? But they ask you for your name and your credit card number, and it'd be like going, shouldn't you already know that? I mean, you're psychic, right? Okay? Verse 5. But the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, here's where the anger comes in. You will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. So he's a little upset, okay? As you can see, what he's saying is, I'm going to torture you. If you don't tell me what I want to hear, I'm going to torture you. We're going to chop you into little pieces. So therefore, yeah, you're going to be dead, deader than dead here. And not only that, I'm not going to leave it at that. We're going to destroy your family. We're going to destroy your home. What it literally means is and they, this is what they would do to shame people like this and to shame their families. They would turn their homes into a public sewer. It's a dung heap. That's how it translates. Yeah, he's got an anger problem, okay? But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious. I will, if you can't tell me what it is, what it means, you're going to be torn from limb to limb. Your, your house will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you... Tell, by the way, you thought you had a bad boss, right? Okay. But if you tell me what I dreamed... And what the dream means, I will give you wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. And they said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. 
You see, if he would have been able to give them this, they could have, they could have manipulated this however they wanted. They were good at doing this. They were good at telling him what he wanted to hear. But God was causing a block on the dream because he was exposing the fallibility and their manipulation and the limitation of human abilities and human power. Their human wisdom was being shown for what it is, limited and finite, weak compared to God's wisdom. So God was sovereignly putting things together. He was getting ready to work through Daniel. He was going to set Daniel up to be in a place of influence throughout his lifetime for God's purposes, right? God was exposing the phony system of religion that they had. And they say, just, just give us some time. Give us a little time. We'll figure this out. The king replied, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know that I am serious whenever I say, if you don't tell me my dream, you are doomed. Again, this is an impossible thing he's asking. So you have conspired to tell me lies. You're hoping I will change my mind, but tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. And the astrologers replied to the king, no one, and, and, and it's interesting how God was going to use them in, our, in this great irony to set this up. No one, they say, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. And, and king, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. Now say the next part with me out loud. Help me out. Let's say it together. The king's demand is what? It's impossible. Are you kidding me? I mean, again, I mean, maybe you're in an impossible situation. And then they're, they're going to say this. No one except the gods. No one except the gods can do this. Can tell you your dream. And they don't live here among people. So again, the great irony is they're appealing to the fact that only a god, only a god could do this impossible task. God was setting the ball up on a tee for Daniel to knock it out of the park. Verse 12. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. Again, you thought you had a bad boss, right? But because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. That doesn't seem fair, does it? Daniel wasn't even there. He wasn't even a part of this. this he was still uh, 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 being trained. He was likely in the last year of his training, or maybe he had just finished, but he wasn't among this group of men who were there. And, and this looks like obviously horrible news for Daniel and his friends. God, what in the world are you doing allowing such a thing like this to happen to such a righteous person? It seems so unfair, but Daniel was... Again, not among these who were there. He wasn't there. He was still going through this. But Daniel was not like all the other worldly advisors. He wasn't like the rest of these folks. Daniel lived in complete dependence upon God, as we will see. He still hasn't changed as he's gone through University of Babylon indoctrination here. He still hasn't changed. He still believed that God was ultimately in control. And sometimes for us... Things are happening right in front of our eyes that are definitely unjust. And maybe some of you are going through something right now that does seem so unfair and, and potentially could be very unfair. Maybe you did the right thing and you stood up for what was right, as Daniel did but it doesn't seem to be working out for you the way it is for Daniel. Maybe you've been passed over by your boss because you did the right thing. Maybe you've, you've been treated poorly by coworkers or by schoolmates because you did the right thing. Maybe you're a student and you decided to stand up for Christ and to stop compromising your values and going along with everyone else and you did the right thing and now it's really hard and it's not easy. I remember whenever God got a hold of my heart when I was across the street in that high school, when I was between my sophomore and junior year, when God started really working on me, and I had just become a believer right at the end of my freshman year. I was in church, but I wasn't a believer until this point, and, and, and I was acting like everyone else. I'd, I was not passing the test of cultural conformity. 
I was doing everything that everyone else was doing, but God began to convict me about this. And God said, Bart, I want you to stand out. I want you to be different. I have plans for you, son, but you're going to have to be strong in your faith. And so between my sophomore and junior year, I decided that I was going to take a stand for Christ. And I want you to know, I thought maybe when I do this that, that many will applaud that in my life. And I want to tell you this, many did not. And I lost friends. Now, they were still friends, but I just, we, we didn't hang out as much together. It was a difficult time. I even was angry with God. And I thought, God, I, I'm trying to stand up for you and do the right thing. I know I'm not perfect, but I want to just try to live the right way and make good decisions. And this is what happens because it was a very lonely time in my life at that point. And some of, you, some of you have experienced this, but I, I do know this, that in that time where it was lonely for me, God was, God was cultivating me. God was preparing me. God was getting me ready for leadership positions to come later on, not only in high school, but leadership positions. I never would have dreamed that I would be a pastor across the street from that place, right? I never even wanted to be that. But God was, God was doing something in me during that time. God was working behind the scenes in ways that I had no idea about. And I want you to know, God is working in your life too. When you're going through what you're going through, God is at work in ways that you cannot see. He's doing things that, that, that may not be revealed to you today or even next week or even years down the road. I couldn't see it at the time, but I know that it's true that it was happening. Some of you, that's where you are. And this is when you have to make the choice in faith right now that God is working in your life, even if you can't see it. It's a choice that you make, that you purpose and resolve in your heart like Daniel did, that, that, that even if I can't see this, I'm going to resolve to follow God and his ways in spite of what everyone else is doing. I want to follow him. And God was ordering Daniel's steps. God was setting Daniel up for success. But remember, before success can ever happen in your life, you will go through some testing. There will be testings that you will experience. And, and again, Daniel was going through the test of change, the test of cultural conformity, and now we see what Daniel is going to do in a test of crisis. Because this was a crisis. Now his life was under threat. This was a test of crisis when things were unfair. So what do you do, right? And maybe that's where you're at. I don't know what you're facing, but maybe you're in a financial crisis right now. How do you respond to that? Maybe your marriage is in crisis mode right now. How, what, what do you do whenever that's happening or something's happening with your kids and it's a crisis? Maybe it's a health problem that you are experiencing and it's a crisis in your life. Here's the question. How do you respond? Do you have roots or are you blown about like the tumbleweed? Here's your question. Are you committed to God in the midst of a crisis or when things seem unfair? That's a serious question to answer. Would that describe you, that Jeremiah passage, blessed? Remember that word blessed? Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Let's bring that verse up real quick. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by the long months of drought. It doesn't mean that it's not dry or that it's easy. It's just that there's something different about them. They have roots. Their leaves stay green. Why? Because they have roots. They never stop producing fruit. Why? They have roots. Do you have roots? You can't control the crisis, but you can't control your response. What's your response? So let's, let's keep looking and see what happens at the, at the depth of Daniel and his maturity. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, that means this, he was the chief executioner, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with, what does it say? Wisdom, and say it with me, discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king. 
And he requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and he told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heavens to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. We'll look more into that next week. Then Daniel did this. What did he do? He praised the God of heaven. So how do you respond in a crisis? I'm going to give you some things just very quickly out of this that you could write down and you can use this, okay? If you're in a crisis or you will be in a crisis, and that will be all of us at some point. Number one, how to respond in a crisis. Daniel maintained his composure. You see that, how he maintained composure. Everybody in the king's court was frazzled, even the king. They were all freaking out. They were all panicking. What's going to happen here? Daniel, though, kept his cool. He kept his cool and he was composed. Why could Daniel keep his cool? He had roots. He knew his destiny was in the hands of the living God, not one of these false gods. We don't see despair. And you see, people who are like this, it doesn't just happen automatically. It takes time for them to grow roots. It takes time. So you want to be sure that you're working on growing roots now, that you're, you're growing roots because you will go through a crisis. Will you be different in how everyone else handles the crisis? Like Daniel was so different. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, and this just, we can read over this, but this is serious. When he came to kill him, that's pretty serious, wouldn't you say? That's a crisis. Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and destruction. So here, what do we see? God is even handling this man, Arioch. God was, was, was giving him an, an affinity and affection for Daniel to be willing to even sit with him. Why is this happening? I believe it's because Daniel's integrity was preceding him. Remember, God blesses integrity. And it was proceeding, it was going before him. God was working through Daniel's composure. God was working through his calm. Daniel was different. People who have roots are different. They have depth. They have peace. They're not anxious or worried. It doesn't mean they won't go through it. They're just different. They handle it differently. When things get frantic in your family or in your job, what is your response? Are you different? Or do you add fuel to the fire of panic? Are you different? God uses people who have composure. Here's the next thing that we see. Daniel was blessed, and we see that Daniel handled this because Daniel demonstrated, and here it is again, great courage. And we brought it up last week, and we've got to bring it up again because you know what? It took courage for him to go see this crazy king and to say, I want to talk to you about this. He's an 18-year-old kid. He's not afraid to speak to this brutal dictator who was known for being sadistic, who was known for hurting people and murdering people. And he had just threatened to chop everyone up. And Daniel said, I want to talk to him. That takes courage. Courage to go see him. Daniel went at once to see the king. He didn't procrastinate in the crisis here. Is there something that you're procrastinating about? Are you procrastinating about a problem or are you handling it with courage? And he requested more time. Daniel was asking nothing different than what these other guys had asked. Again, why was he getting some favor here? One, obviously the hand of God was on him. But two, again, I believe it has something to do with his integrity. And the king was inclined to listen. He just asked for a little more time. The king knew that there was something special about this kid. There was something different. He, is, he was confident. He wasn't cocky, but he was confident in his God. He knew that Daniel had no fear of any man because he stood up to the king once already when it came to the food situation. Daniel knew this. God had his back. He had faith. Do you know that God has your back? Do you really believe? Here's what it really boils down to. Do you really believe that the God of heaven's really loves you and that his that your life is truly in his hands and that no matter what happens yes bad things will happen to us in this world because this world is broken this world is messed up but God has your back and is with you Jesus said I will never leave you or forsake you no matter what you go through circumstantially 
our whole lives and our whole demeanor can change. Why? Because we have roots in him. We're stable. We're not about trying to please people and everyone else around us. We want to live to please our, the, the audience of one, to please our God. Daniel had no fear of man. He wasn't worried about what everyone else was, was saying. What can man do to me? Well, he may be able to hurt me physically, but he can never take God out of my heart. Daniel had a total dependence, and you may not be facing a dictator like Daniel was, but maybe it's the circumstance that has you in panic right now, and, and, and you're just panicked, and God wants you today to trust in him. He wants you to know that he's working in ways that you can't see, that he loves you, and he wants to remove that fear. You can be composed. You can have courage. Here's what we also see that he does. Daniel enlisted a community of believers to pray with him. Did you see that? That's what he did. He went right back after meeting with the king, and he went to his small group. And he said, I need you guys to pray. We need to pray. He got with his. He didn't appeal to them for the answer. He, he said, guys, I, I'm not asking you to give me the answer. I, I, he didn't try to go to the dream manuals that he had access to. He didn't depend on his own skill. Remember, he knew that God was giving him skill in reading these dreams. He didn't do that. He just said, we've got to hit our knees in prayer, and I need some people to pray with me. So here's your, your point of application. You know what you need? You need more than just a church family that meets on a Sunday morning. You need some believers around you to pray with you, especially in times of crisis. That's why we want you to be in a small group. That's why we want you to have some other men in your life if you're a man. If you're a lady, you need some other ladies in your life who can pray with you, who you can reach out to. And this is what they did. They, they prayed together. They start to pray in this crisis. They start to worship in this crisis. Listen to what the prayer reveals about Daniel's heart. Listen to how he prays. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever. He didn't start out saying, God, do this for me, do this for me. He starts by praising God. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. We need to always remember that verse in our political landscape. Amen? He gives wisdom to the, to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank. Now watch what he's going to do. So he starts with praising God for who he is. Now he's going to start thanking him expectantly. Look, I thank and I praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you, and you have re revealed to us what the king demanded. He gives us a model of praise, and here's what it is. You praise God. When you're in a crisis, you praise God for who he is. You start praising him for who he is, and here's what you also do. You start thanking him for what he has already done. That's what you do, and this is what he's doing right here. Instead of worrying or complaining, bring some trusted people around you and start praying and praising God in the crisis. This is what Daniel did. Fourth, and this quickly, Daniel had compassion on others, even in this. He wasn't only focused on himself. He wasn't just like, well, I got the answer. Go ahead and kill all these other guys because I don't like them, okay? By the way, those guys would turn on him later because they were jealous. These other wise men, they weren't believers. Daniel had nothing in common with them. But Daniel wasn't just thinking of himself. He was thinking of other people. And, and, and if, he was, if he was politically motivated, this was the time to let it run its course. But he didn't do this. Look at what he did. Daniel went to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise man. Don't kill him. He had compassion. Take me to the king. I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Ariok quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, who was also known as Belteshazzar, remember that? Is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And again, next week, we'll look more into the prophetic nature of this dream so don't miss the practical application for today because you're looking for the prophecy of tomorrow. 
God wants you to do something about it today. Did you catch that? Sometimes we get so caught up in prophetic things and prophecy that we miss what God is saying. I want you to serve me right now, today. Now, we'll get to the prophecy stuff, I promise you. But this is, this is what Daniel does. Here's the final thing. Daniel, in the midst of this, could have taken all the credit for himself, but a person in crisis, this is what he does, how he responds, what does he do? He gives God all the credit. Are you pointing other people to God in your crisis? As you're going through the things you're facing, Daniel doesn't become prideful when he gets the answer he wants. He points people to God around him. Daniel replied, there are no wise men. He's including himself. There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers. He's also taking a little dig at those guys as well. Who can reveal the king's secret? All right, now help me out. I want us all to say this together. What does the next thing say? But there is a God in heaven. Some of you, that is what you needed to hear today. Whatever it is that you're facing, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. And now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. Daniel pointed Nebs to God. <laughs> That's what he did. So again, I don't know what you're going through today. In fact, let's just bow our heads at this moment, if you'll pray with me. I don't know what you're facing today. But in our times of crisis, we need to understand that there are people who are watching us. Are you pointing people to God by your faith, or are you leading them further away, particularly parents? Are you maintaining your composure because you, you've trusted Christ to take care of you no matter what happens? Do you have roots? Some of you, you need to just be reminded of this passage. There is a God in heaven. And you know what we know about this God? He deeply loves you. And you are not meant to go through what you are going through by yourself he wants to be in your life. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's been pursuing you all of your life because he loves you. And right now, you can, you can just invite him and believe in him. You might just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. Would you forgive me of my sins? I know you've already paid for them. I place my faith in you as my Savior. I believe you've been raised from the dead. I don't even understand how that even happens. I just have faith that you are who you say you are. Will you be my Savior today? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Today, if you made that decision, we would just love for you to let somebody know. Maybe you would let one of our pastors know. Maybe you would take one of those connection cards that's in the seat in front of you. There's a place that says, I, I accepted Christ as my Savior today because we feel a responsibility just to come alongside and help you. Some of you, you're going through something difficult. Maybe you just need God to give you composure today. Would you ask him for that? God, I need composure. God, would you give me courage Maybe you need a community of believers around you. We invite you to be a part of that. Maybe God wants you to take your eyes off of yourself even in this and have compassion on others around you. God will often work through that. And in the midst of this, are you giving God the credit? Pointing people to God. Thank you, God, for this example of Daniel. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me as we sing this final song?